Kevin Markwick. You can obtain leading brands of cigarettes and confectionery.
Electric Machine. Uh, Gold Frap from the 2003 album Black Cherry. So, hello, good evening, and welcome. That sounded really DJ, didn't it? Sorry. Thank you, Adrian, for the last two hours of Northern Soul Malarkey. Excellent, as usual. And a show packed tighter than Tom Jones' pants tonight. Music from Slaves, TV on the radio. Catfish and the Bottlemen. Tom Waits, Robert Wyatt and so much more. A rather good film section, even if I say so myself tonight, with some of the best music from war films in cinema history, including Henry V, Battle of Britain, Torah, 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 The Cruel Sea and all sorts. It's going to be good, I hope. So kick back, throw another urchin on the fire, loosen your trousers, or whatever it is that you're wearing. Here's the Bohicas.
Oh, that's great stuff, isn't it? Uh, the Bohicas, uh, that's called Swarm. They're a new band from Essex, uh, recently signed to the Domino label, and uh, looking forward to hearing more from them, certainly. Now, don't forget, you can get in touch with the show. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, at Kevin Markwick. Uh, you can hit me up on our Facebook page, The Kevin Markwick Show. Go onto that Facebook arrangement and uh, look for us there. Or you can even interact with the show directly if you go to the um, www.uckfieldfm.co.uk. There's a kind of webby, chatty thing. You can look at the back of my head and do whatever it is you do when you're on the internet. That's between a person and their computer. But it would be good to hear from you because, uh, you know, we're sitting here, or I'm sitting here. I always use the raw we, which I shouldn't do really because it is just me. Right, this is uh, this is my favourite thing at the moment. This is a band called Slaves, and uh, Debbie, where's your car? Wonderful, wonderful. Where's your car, Debbie? From Slaves. Uh, they're a garage punk band uh, from... It's a duo, actually, from Kent, and that's from their debut EP, Hey. Um, proper punky, proper, proper punky. Uh, OK, so uh, we've got the film stuff coming up as well, which is a bit of a, a change from what we've been playing at the moment. Uh, we'll have some TV on the radio, then we'll go into a break, and when we come back, uh, more good music, and then on the half hour, it's the film stuff. OK... Have you got the hang of that, Kane? This is uh, TV on the radio. Stuck in the shade Where there's no sunshine I don't 
Idiot from the new LP uh, Seeds, which is released on Harvest Records uh, tomorrow, in fact. Okay, so time for one of these now. Kevin Markwick. May we remind you that for the convenience of those patrons who prefer not to smoke, seating areas on the right hand side of this auditorium have been designated as no smoking areas. Your cooperation is appreciated.
stonking stuff, isn't it? Catfish and the Bottlemen from the current LP, The Balcony. Uh, they're headlining the Concord 2 on December the 9th, um, which will be definitely worth going and having a look at. It would be remiss of me not to mention that uh, in conjunction with Uckfield FM and my cinema, the picture house in Uckfield, we're doing a Mamma Mia night. We can come along. It's a retro film night. Watch Mamma Mia and sing along if you want to. Uh, tickets are £9 each, and they're actually on the Uckfield FM website, www.uckfieldfm.co.uk. If that's your thing, um, I always maintain that two things will survive nuclear war, cockroaches and ABBA songs. Okay? So in the meantime, here are the districts.
bit of Americana there. You know how much we like a good bit of Americana on this show, don't you? Okay. Uh, funeral Beds uh, from the Districts. Uh, they're from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and that's from the current LP Telephone, which uh, is very, very good indeed. Now, uh, what are we going to do? We've got I Am Clute, then we're going to have an ad break, and then it's into the uh, war <laughs> section of the show. It's a bit odd, isn't it? I don't know. Let me know. Is it working? Is it working? Just just, just tweet me, at Kevin Markwick. Or you can actually email the show as well uh, on um, studio at uckfieldfm.co.uk. And uh, I can pick that up there. Or you can uh, go online and, uh, you know, uh, type in stop for, for the love of the children. Please, please stop. OK, so this is I Am Clute. Then a break and then uh, it's war movie time. And this is rather lovely. It's called Proof. Hey, could you stand another drink? I'm better when I don't think Seems to get me through and say, do you want to spin another line like we had a good time? Not that I need proof. Swell, we're living in a hotel. Someone's ringing my bell in a room without a view. And hey, heard you read another book. Should I take another look? Who am I? Without you Spin another line like we had a good time Not that I need proof Swell, we're living in a hotel Someone's ringing my bell In a room without a view Hey, heard you read another book Should I take another look? Who am I?
Lovely, lovely. I can't believe that's 2003. From the album I Am Clute, uh, that's the song Proof. Okay, so put on your concrete trousers because we're going to war after this. Stand by for launching. It's Zoom with three new flavors and free picture cards. Start collecting famous aircraft. There's a free card with every Zoom on sale now. Kevin Markwick, 105 Uckfield FM. So here we are in the film section of the show. Uh, what I'm going, what I've been trying to do, what we did last week was science fiction, which seemed to go down very well. Uh, podcasters seem to enjoy that. Hello to the podcasters. I do keep meaning to say that every week. Uh, I really appreciate you downloading the show and having a listen. Uh, part sent, you know, pass a message on that the show is, you know, at least worth a few minutes of your time. Spread the word. Retweet. Is it retweet or repod? Repod. Is there such a thing as repodding? I do, new. No. Anyway, so uh, this week I'm going to do war movies. Next week I thought I'd do westerns, so if you want to send in some suggestions for great western movie themes, you know, there are loads. Uh, let's try and maybe think of something a bit different, something a bit unusual, something that isn't The Big Country or The Magnificent Seven. Not that those aren't both truly wonderful pieces of music. Uh, so what I've tried to do is, we've got a few in here you would expect and a few you might not expect. And... Um, so we're going to start with the French and Indian War of uh, 1757, the backdrop for Michael Mann's muscular 1992 adaptation of James Fenimore Cooper's novel The Last of the Mohicans. Uh, it's, um, it's actually an unusually fat-free and efficient film for Michael Mann, running a sprightly 112 minutes, and it moves along at a nice click. Uh, I remember the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, is that it? Is it finished? Uh, the performances are convincing as... Um, and Daniel Day Oscar is superb as Hawkeye, uh, an accomplished white tracker who's been adopted by the by the Mohican Chinganchuk. Uh, set pieces are great, and the sense of period is actually spot on. Um, doing some reading over the weekend, I'm not sure it's as accurate as they like to think it is, but uh, you know it's all muskets and snarly, duplicitous British army officers in red coats. Uh, Americans love that, uh, and the music score by Trevor Jones is suitably sweeping.
top of the world uh, from The Last of the Mohicans by, well, the score by Trevor Jones from Michael Mann's film, uh, which, you know, holds up pretty well. We watched it recently on Blu-ray. There was a Blu-ray I got hold of, which isn't great, actually. The black levels, sorry to be nerdy, are absolute rubbish. I think it must have been taken off the original VHS master or something. Uh, there doesn't appear to be a definitive uh, uh, Blu-ray version out there. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. It took a lot of money. I remember it took a lot of money. Really, really, really busy with that one. OK, so uh, William Walton is one of our great composers and is closely associated with the mood and atmosphere of the first half of the 20th century in Britain. Actually, after Elgar died in uh, 1934, it was Walton who was commissioned to write the Coronation March for George VI in uh, 1937. He was also uh, actually the first major composer, really, to be commissioned to score films. A few others have done it, um, but Walton was certainly one of the first. Um, and inevitably, uh, those scores were for films with a certain certain type of Britishness, really. Uh, the first of the few about the genesis of the Spitfire uh, with Trevor Howard and David Niven, uh, all about uh, Lizzie Mitchell. Lizzie Mitchell, is that right? <laughs> yes, I think so. Uh, yeah, that was made in 1942. And the score, actually, probably... Well, he did the score for one of the great pieces of wartime morale-boosting propaganda, uh, Laurence Olivier's 1944 adaptation of uh, William Shakespeare's Henry V. Incredible colour. It's, it's kind of difficult to imagine its impact now. But uh, back in 1944, in the dark, dark days of the war, grey and uh, kind of miserable... No, I don't know, just grey. And uh, this, this extraordinary explosion of colour uh, when Laurence Olivier's... Um, Henry V hit the screen. It was a massive, massive success. A real kind of morale boost. You, know, you can imagine the um, the big speech, you know, we the few, the happy few. Uh, and actually, it's probably Walton's best score and contains the achingly beautiful Touch Her Soft Lips and Part.
Touch Her Soft Lips and Part, part of uh, William Walton's score for Laurence Olivier's uh, 1944 adaptation of uh, Shakespeare's Henry V. And actually won an Academy Award, <laughs> oddly titled Special Award, for his outstanding achievement as actor, producer and director in bringing Henry V to the screen. So they made up a whole Oscar for him, for Dare, 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 Larry. Um, and a fine film it is too. It stands up, actually. It is. I mean, it's, you know, a bit creaky in places. But then aren't we all? Uh, so, some years later, uh, in 1969, actually, when Walton was, ooh, well in his late 60s, producer Harry Saltzman, uh, the Bond guy, uh, commissioned Walton to write the score for his big-budget Second World War film, The Battle of Britain. Uh, this tells the story of the defeat inflicted on Hitler's Luftwaffe by the RAF in 1940 and scuppering the Germans' plans to invade Britain. Uh, Operation Sea Lion, is that right? Yeah, that's what it was called. Uh, Walton worked closely, actually, with conductor Malcolm Arnold and produced some really great music. Uh, unfortunately, when, uh, when they sent the tapes to Los Angeles, uh, the United Artists executives heard the music out of out of context and actually Walton had a real thing he didn't he didn't particularly like to play his film music he thought it made little sense out of the context of the film I'm not sure I'd agree with him actually especially having heard heard the track we've just heard but he he really didn't like it and it actually ironically came back to came back to haunt him um when the UA executives insisted that another more accessible composer be brought in um, and Walton's score was replaced by a much more straightforward boom, 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 boom type score uh, by Where Eagles Dare and 633 Squadron composer Ron Goodwin. Perfectly fine stuff, you know, exactly what you would expect. Uh, although when um, Olivier heard this, he threatened to have his name removed from the finished film, which seems a bit, uh, you know, he felt strongly enough that Walton's score should be included. Ultimately, though, uh, one piece of music remains in the picture and it underscores what I think actually is the best part of um, what is a fairly sort of plodding, lumpen, strangely unimaginative film, actually. Given the material, it's a bit sort of... Uh, it's a bit like a lumbering train of a film. Uh, the battle in the air sequence, actually, and it contains... There's no sound effects or dialogue um, and it, it simply... Presents the Spitfires and Hindcores and Messerschmitts dogfighting over southern England. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose you would call it a montage sequence, really, uh, but it's all, all choreographed to uh, Walton's soaring music.
William Walton's music. Uh, the only track that remained in the final cut of uh, the Battle of Britain from uh, 19... Ooh. <laughs> 1969. That was it. Uh, there is a CD, actually, which has both Ron Goodwin and William Walton's score on it, which I don't have in my collection, which I should go and get. I remember I, I, I loved and coveted the original, um, the original album sleeve. I, I wish I'd known... Where that went, I think my mum threw all my records out when I left home, but um, or a lot of my records anyway. Um, and I had the LP with that tremendous artwork with the Spitfire and the Misha Smith and the intertwined flags. It was, uh, yeah, lovely. I've been trying to get the poster as well for years, but uh, it goes for rather a lot of money. Now, uh, we're going to have a break, and when we come back, one of the sort of big, big, big war themes of all time. Kevin Markwick. A warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Wonderful stuff. You're listening to The Kevin Markwick Show uh, on Uckfield FM. It's a Monday night. What are you doing? Are you in your jimmies? <laughs> I'm in mine. My leopard skin thong jimmies. 
There you go. There's an image for you. Uh, that, of course, was uh, John Barry's stirring main theme from Zulu in 1964. It was a massively successful film uh, for Paramount, I believe, uh, directed by Cy Enfield about the Battle of Rourke's Drift in January 1879, when 150 British soldiers, many of them sick and wounded, successfully held off 4,000 Zulu warriors. Boy, we took some money with that. Can you imagine round here? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, it was always playing when I was a kid, actually. Um, I was surprised to learn that uh, sometimes it had an interval in it. Sometimes it didn't have an interval in it. It was always strange. You never quite knew. But I, I gather that it's it's reasonably historically accurate. I mean, some of it isn't, but then that's the movies. Uh, and it certainly looks amazing. The cinemasto- cinemascope photography is wonderful. And of course, Michael Caine, uh, it was his debut on the big screen, uh, playing a posh person, sort of terribly, terribly posh, which, of course, he wasn't. Uh, and produced by the star himself, uh, Stanley Baker, who was a massive, massive star at the time. So... After the huge success of The Longest Day in 1962, uh, veteran Fox executive Daryl Zanuck was trawling around for another project of equal size and box office potential. So he alighted upon the uh, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor at the end of 1941, finally bringing the US into World War II. Now, uh, Zanuck had always felt that the American uh, commanders were far more prepared for for the attack than history had recorded. And he kind of went on a bit of a crusade that he felt he wanted to redress the balance to uh, take away some of the blame from the people on the ground. Uh, and, and in order not to make the film from one point of view uh, to retain the balance... Um, Zanuck also decided the film was to be made in t- with uh, two separate productions, actually, two separate films, uh, which would be you know, shown at the same time, but two separate productions, one American, uh, directed by Richard Fleischer, and a Japanese uh, section or film directed by the great master of cinema, Akira Kurosawa. Now, um, Kurosawa worked for two years, actually, on, this, on script development and pre-production, but as, you know given all the stories we know now about uh, working in Hollywood or working for Hollywood studios, uh, he was replaced after only two weeks of principal photography um, by uh, Toshio Masuda and uh, Kinji uh, Fukusaku. Kurosawa, actually, if you think about it, was never going to tolerate the interference he was getting uh, on set from the producer Zanuck and all the other execs, you know, this massively expensive film with uh, all these physical effects. There was just too much, too much interference uh, and not really the way that Kurosawa you know, Seven Samurai and all those amazing films Rashomon was uh, used to working. And, you know, it really is a great big monster of a film, uh, full of complex flying sequences. Uh, Real Boeing B-17s actually were used, and one was um, actually filmed crashing (laughs) when its undercarriage failed to open, and they used the footage in the final film. I don't know, is that a good thing? Well, it looks real. That's for sure. Um, And there were a lot of kind of uh, mock-up stuff as well. Uh, But the film was a flop everywhere. Um, And in truth, it's it's somewhat dull overall, but rather like the Battle of Britain. Um, If you're into the hardware, it's a real treat. Just don't expect complex character development. However, in all ways, it's better than the Spawn of Satan that is Michael Bay's 2001 retelling of the same story. Now, uh, one of our favourite composers on this show is Jerry Goldsmith, uh, 
who created a superb and actually really complex score for Tora Tora Tora. Here's a piece from it. That's great stuff. I like that a lot. That's uh, part of Jerry Goldsmith's score from Torah, Torah, Torah in, uh, oh, 1960. Put your notes away and you... Oh, 1962? No, it wasn't 1962. I don't think I said when the film was. It was about 19... No, it was later than that. I'll look it up. Uh, mm. 
you wouldn't believe the research I did for this show and I didn't look that up. It was kind of mid-60s, wasn't it? It was like 67, 68, something like that. I'll look it up in a second. But what a great score. Jerry Goldsmith is tremendous, isn't he? And I'm not sure where that was, what soundstage that was recorded on. But he gets a really big sound out of it. Um, so, uh, one of the best stories, actually, of the war and its toll on human endurance is uh, Charles Friend's 1953 film of Nicholas Montserrat's novel The Cruel Sea. Uh, very efficient, actually, and quite moving in places, telling of the battle between German U-boats and the Royal Navy. The story is told through the eyes of a close-knit group of a, uh, naval officers and seamen over the whole course of the war. Um, and Jack Hawkins, as usual, gives a towering performance as Lieutenant Commander Ericsson, supported by Donald Sindon and Denham Elliott, who grow in stature visibly before our eyes as they go from newly commissioned officers to battle-hardened leaders of men. Eric Ambler's script is tremendous. Uh, the scene when Ericsson sacrifices British sailors in the water to continue the hunt for the U-boat that sunk their ship remains one of the most powerful representations of war ever put on film, as actually does the um, agonising scene when the two engineers come home to find the home of one of them has been destroyed by German bombs, killing his sister, who was going to marry his friend. Hardly a word is spoken. It's uh, quite, quite brilliantly handled. Uh, the film went on to be the number one film in the UK in 1953 and the music was by Alan Rawson.
Alan Rawsorn's score for The Cruel Sea in 1953. Uh, it's actually one of my favourites, that one. It's the war, the whole bloody war. Um, and 1970, Torah, Torah, Torah. Yes, OK. And I do remember that one coming out, actually, um, and not seeing it at the time. I don't think we played that one. We did eventually. Uh, so, yeah, and actually, back to the war in Japan now, and the very young, in fact, 12 years old, Christian Bale, in Steven Spielberg's 1987 adaptation of J.G. Ballard's novel Empire of the Sun, which drew heavily on Ballard's own experiences as a prisoner of the Japanese in China. Clearly, the story of Jim's indomitable spirit and the opportunity to make a David Lean-style epic were major draws for Spielberg. And after the huge success of Colour Purple, this was another big grown-up story. It was, however, considered a flop, actually. Um, and after the mawkish always, ugh, Spielberg went back to playing safe with Hook. Um, you know, doing that thing he does with Moppet here, kids going, Jim, mommy. Uh, Empire of the Sun remains one of his best films, though. And as usual, John Williams provides the score. This is the amazing scene where uh, Jim encounters the start of the American liberation of the internment camps as P-51s drop bombs on the Japanese runway.
Oramex Orange Flamenco. The Lemon and Lime Cascade. Orange, lemon and lime from Kiora for a cool one of six. Kevin Marco Bartolomé's music from Catherine Bigelow's 2008 Oscar-winning film The Hurt Locker, about a three-man bomb disposal team operating under extreme pressure during the Iraq War. Bigelow would go on to win a Best Director uh, Oscar for the film and then make Zero Dark Thirty about the hunt for Osama bin Laden, which, in my opinion, is a better film, but way too, way too controversial probably to win Oscars. Now, if I were having an arm wrestle about the greatest war film ever made. Uh, uh, as we sat, stripped to the waist, staring aggressively into each other's eyes, I would be fighting on the side of Francis Ford Coppola's 1979 Vietnam set, Apocalypse Now. In fact, I'd maybe strip to the waist to defend it as one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, loosely based on Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, it tells the story of US Army Special Ops Officer Captain Willard, played by Martin Sheen who is tasked with travelling upriver and assassinating high-ranking Colonel Kurtz, a bonkers 
uh, Marlon Brando, who has gone insane and is running his own native army inside neutral Cambodia. We could do a whole programme on this film alone, actually. Uh, if it's the kind of thing you're interested in, go and have a look at all the stuff that's available. Coppola's Diary, uh, Eleanor Coppola's Diary. Uh, there's a brilliant documentary called Hearts of Darkness. Um, just a mad. Uh, the making of the film was almost as insane as the war it depicts. And that sense of the world gone mad pervades every single frame. As Willard makes his way upriver, he encounters all the madness war bestows on its participants and ultimately makes his own peace outside the rule of his superiors um contains many scenes you know that are part of cinema legend napalm in the morning and all that uh um, one of my favorite is when willard and what is left of his crew finally start to enter the kurtz compound and all the insanity of this war is laid out before them uh the original soundtrack album actually was unusual i loved it i loved it Uh, was it 79 yeah um because it contained a great deal of dialogue remember this is before you could own the vhs so or the video, so it was a good way of, of, of having quite a lot of the film. And this haunting sound was created by uh, Francis's father, actually, Carmine Coppola. It's called Strange Voyage. It's when they're kind of, there's a mist and they're moving towards Kurt's compound.
keep moving. Lance, keep your hands away from the gun. stuff I want to see it again now you got the cigarettes and that's what I've been dreaming of strange voyage from apocalypse now in 1979 now if I had to pick one other war film among my favorite films of all time it would have to be Powell and Pressburger's 1943 film the life and death of Colonel Blimp a kind of love story, more between two men than a man and a woman. Uh, it's also a brilliant evocation of the British stiff upper lip. It's also about history and empire and the passing of empire. In fact, it's about everything, really. Um, Roger Livesey is the uh, Major General Clive Wynne Candy, an old career soldier who has to face up to a different kind of threat under the Nazis. Told through a series of flashbacks that start at the end of the Boer War, it takes us through the First World War and its aftermath, right up to what was then the present in 1943, when Britain was deep into the Second World War. Livesey is brilliant, but Anton Walbrook steals the show as Win Candy's best friend, the German Theo Kretschmar Schuldorf, whom he encounters uh, first in Berlin in 1902, when they duel over, a, over an insult to the German Army Officer Corps in a great scene in a, in a beer killer. Uh, they become fast friends as they both recover in hospital and fall in love with the same woman. It's a beautifully multi-layered film full of texture that Churchill uh, famously wanted stopped, not least because of the portrayal of a sympathetic German, which was a brave move in 1943. The film famously starts in 1943 as a young, hot-headed soldier takes it upon himself to start the war games planned for midnight early, surprising the old codger Wing Candy at his club, and uh, who's now uh, with the Home Guard, and demanding his surrender. <laughs> but, young fool, war begins at midnight.
Squadronaires, as used in uh, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp in 1943. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Now, uh, we're nearly done, actually, with this part of the show, so we'll end... Uh, this brief trawl through the great war movies or some very, very, very small number of the great war movie soundtracks uh, with the other great film about the insanity of war. Stanley Kubrick's inky black comedy Doctor Strangelove in 1964. When insane base commander General George Ripper <laughs> gives the go command to all the B-52s carrying nuclear weapons that are flying around uh, ready to, to attack their targets, uh, he gives the go command to bomb Russia and end the world, uh, the end of the world is actually pretty much assured. Peter Sellers plays three parts, the President of the UF, UF, the US, and RAF Officer Mandrake. Yes, Jack, yes. Uh, he also plays the ex-Nazi scientist Dr. Strangelove, now working for the Americans. George C. Scott is brilliant as General Buck Turgidson, who can't see any reason not to let the scenario play out and not warn the Russians. Uh, packed to the gunnels with dark humour that shows the insanity of mutually assured destruction. Kubrick's final masterstroke is uh, to depict the end of the world to the cosy strains of one of the war's most beloved songs. <laughs> again don't know where don't know when but I know we'll meet again some sunny day keep smiling through just like you always do I won't be long They'll be happy to know That as you saw me go I was singing this song we meet again Don't know where Don't know when But I know we'll meet again some sunny day Vera Lynn, we'll meet again or rather we won't meet again because the world has ended from uh, Stanley Kubrick's incredible, incredible film Doctor Strangelove so I hope you enjoyed that, I did uh, next week we're going to have a go at westerns so if you've got any ideas at Kevin Markwick on Twitter the Kevin Markwick show on Facebook or any other way you want to get in touch with me it would be great to hear from you one of these and then we're going to do music down to the news and then I'm off new banana chop Sunday. banana chop Sunday. we'll banana fruit ice cherry ice cream chocolate chocolate hazelnuts what a feast on a stick Banana Chop Sunday with Nelson. Kevin Markwick. 
50,000 watts in a big acoustic tower. Security's so tight tonight. Oh, they're ready for a tussle. Gotta keep your backstage passes. Cause your promoter has a muscle. And so it goes. And so it goes. And so it goes. And so it goes. Oh, it's going. No one knows. And so it goes. And so it goes. And so it goes. And so it goes. Oh, it's going. No one knows. Buildings at the head of our nations Worthy men from Spain and Siam All day discussions with the Russians But they still went ahead And beat all the plans Now up jumped the U.S. representative He's the one with the tight eyes 747 for him in that condition Flying back on a peace-keeping mission And so it goes And so it goes And so it goes And so it goes Oh, it's going, no one knows And so it goes, and so it goes But where it's going, no one knows Nick Lowe from 1976 actually uh, was the first single released on Stiff Records. Did you know that? No, you didn't. Well, maybe you did. Uh, before we get finished here at 11 o'clock, uh, music from Tom Waits, Laura Veers, The Seekers and The Cocteau Twins. Uh, but before we get there, here's an absolute classic from Robert Wyatt.
Markwick 105 Uckfield FM
remains as strange and as wonderful as ever. Tom Waits from the Grammy award-winning album Bone Machine in 1992, The Earth Dies Screaming. Before that, Robert Wyatt from 1982, um, an early uh, single that was just tremendous stuff. Uh, and we're going to have some Laura Veers now, because, you know, we love Laura Veers. And this is from Carbon Glacier. <laughs> Just beautiful. Laura Veers from Carbon Glacier in 2004. It's called Ether Sings. 
disappointed not to see her on her recent solo tour. Just her and a guitar of the UK, which I hear was very, very good. OK, one Stone Cold classic, then an ad break, and then another classic, and then uh, I'm going home for my tea. <laughs> Nobody you meet could ever see the loneliness there Inside you, hey there, Georgie girl Why do all the boys just pass you by? Could it be you just don't try? Or is it the clothes you wear? You're always window shopping but never stopping to buy So shed those dowdy feathers and fly The Seekers from 1966. Uh, wouldn't you like your life to be kind of, you know, you'd have to live your life to that music if your entire life was a montage? That's what it needs to sound like. OK, uh, and the film with the same name, of course, Georgie Girl, which took an enormous amount of money. Alan Bates and Redgrave, the other Redgrave. Oh, not Vanessa, not Thingy. <laughs> the other one. Oh, oh, it escapes me. I don't know. Uh, let's have a break. Uh, we'll go out with the Cocteau Twins at the end uh, and then it'll be over for another week. Kevin Markwick. Lynn Redgrave. Lynn Redgrave. I shouldn't be let loose in a studio, really. Thank you very much. That's it. It's all over. It's been great, actually. It's gone like a shot. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you're listening to the podcast, I hope you're enjoying it too. So I'm going to leave you with the Cocteau Twins, Pandora. And I'll see you all next week. I love you all. Bye. Thank you.